welcome to Bright Lights, Big Data, a podcast about people, places, and data. I'm your data host, Tammy Armstrong. And I'm your planning host, Mike Armstrong. And we are delighted to have here in the studio today, uh, Deidre Dejir, who is a candidate for Secretary of State in Iowa. Welcome, Deidre. Thanks for having me. So, Deidre, can you tell us a little bit, what do you do and how did you get here? I started at Drake as a broadcast news and politics major. I'm originally from Mississippi. And I came to Drake by way of Oklahoma and was a broadcast news politics major, great programs in both of those different majors and had an awesome opportunity to get connected with the political process with the Iowa caucuses and, and things of that nature and ended up interning and staying here because in 08 it was hard to get a job coming out of college. <laughs> and so I had one and uh, all the folks that had common sense that you better stay in that job. <laughs> I started a business while I was working and I started that business really to help these up and coming entrepreneurs that were kind of leaving the workforce by force and had no choice but to start their own business. And most of all of them had great ideas, good products and services, but didn't know how to do the branding identity and, and the marketing. And so I started doing that on the side. And over time, it just grew into being full time. Intermittently, I would work on some campaigns here and there. I worked on the Obama campaign in 08. In 2012, I was actually staffed on the Obama campaign statewide. And then I did some school board races too, which were really fun and challenging here in Des Moines, but learned a wealth of knowledge as it relates to people, places, and things. I really started to get the disconnect that people had with government. I never forgot all of the things that Iowa did for me to help me grow as a young woman. I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere else, so I'm claiming Iowa as my home, whether they claim me or not. But I felt like I needed to pay it forward. And I was been kind of working in this bubble, doing voter engagement work and also running my business, helping other businesses. And I felt complacent, like I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't maximizing my potential because people are still hurting. Our business owners throughout the state are struggling. Uh, they don't know how to access resources. Our voters are disengaged. And so I'm like, I can't do this in this bubble. No one's ever going to hear me the way that they need to hear me. And so I knew that the Secretary of State's office was a space for progress in those two arenas. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was equipped to run. Not necessarily equipped from a qualifications vantage point, but equipped from a political vantage point. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have the political ties. I didn't have loads of money in my <laughs> coffers. I didn't have a wealthy family or the things that people think you need when mm -hmm. you run. I also was not an expert in everything government. <laughs> um, and so it took some friends of mine to empower me to say you're gonna run. And I'm glad that they did because sometimes it's like, you know, when you're a kid and you say you want a Lamborghini or <laughs> you you wanna be a singer knowing you can't hit a note. It was like, <laughs> it was kind of like one of those pipe dreams, like I want this really badly. But luckily I had a village around me. I like to call them my iron, iron sharpens iron. And they're like, mm -hmm. this is your space. And I got to the point that I started hearing them but I wasn't convinced because I kept thinking about all the reasons why I shouldn't. You've never run for anything mm -hmm. before. Why are you running for statewide office? Why don't you run for state house? Or, you know, all of these questions mm -hmm. people were asking me, just planting those seeds of doubt 
in my mind and I allowed them to plant those seeds and they begin to grow. But there was a, a breaking point for me. It was the end of 2016 and I'm trying to think, okay, what's 2017 going to look like for you? And it was just like a voice of reason that came to my mind and said, stop persuading yourself out of your purpose. Um, stop analyzing yourself out of your purpose. Those were the words that I heard. And I knew when I heard it, that's what it was, because that's all I had been thinking about mm -hmm. was that role, because this role is so, so important. Each and every state, well, 49 of our states, I believe, have an active secretary of state. And depending upon the state that you're in, they do different things. But our state, and it's most common, that they are in charge of elections and campaigns. Mm -hmm. And when we think about the fundamental aspect of our democracy, this is the space where those folks have an opportunity to, to connect with the voter process. And so I'm here because I'm passionate about voting and small businesses and the way that I feel like I can make the greatest impact, the way that I feel like I can add value is through that office, in, in this moment at least. Yeah, I that's think a long-winded answer. No, <laughs> no, that's I'm going to shorten it up so no. we can break it up. Probably people are like this monotonous woman. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great that's a great story, and I think that's so true. A lot of the times that the the best things we can do are the scariest things too, mm -hmm. right? And it's it's so great that you oh, had yeah. that that village. Yeah, to it was totally the fear, mm -hmm. totally the fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. You feel like you have to know the end game, right? There's no way to know the end game mm -hmm. in elections. No way. Yep. The only yeah. way you'll ever feel fully qualified to hold office is by already holding it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Even then, maybe not. Even, Even then. then. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, a little imposter right. syndrome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been interesting talking to other people who have been interested to run, friends of ours, or people who are in office now and when they're leading up to it. And it's so easy to get into that. Well, if you take all of those little steps that people tell you to take, it's going to be 20 years before mm -hmm. you actually get to the position you want to be in. If you're going to try to run for something small and local and then build all of those connections that you think you need or build up that financial base and all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, I'll be in that position when I'm 60 or something. Right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what Kirsten said. She basically ran about 20 to 30 years sooner than she kind of figured people do. Mm -hmm. um, and it worked out for her. So mm -hmm. I think people are, young people are especially being really energized right now to do more and to say, why not? Why right. not me? We're looking at our voter base, 18 to 29 year olds. I mean, that's a, a vulnerable time for mm -hmm. voting because I remember being in that space trying to figure out life, not <laughs> always thinking about that civic duty. I, I did it because I worked in it, but m many of my friends did not. And even now, when we think about Parkland happened in February, voter registration amongst 18 to 29 year olds have increased throughout the entire country. I mean, in Pennsylvania, like 16%, in Minnesota, like 4.5%, but in Iowa, decrease. We're at a net loss. We're at a net loss. And so there's a lot of work that we need to do in our own state when we're thinking about the future mm -hmm. of our state. Because voting is one of those things where I think it's a gateway to getting civically involved, unless you work for the city. <laughs> I mean, it's the gateway to trying to better improve your community. And for some people, it comes natural. But for most, we want to pay bills, mm -hmm. we want to go to work, we want to play, uh, we want to spend time with family and friends, we want to pay bills. <laughs> um, but, you know, voting is not always the top priority, but it means so much for what we're all trying to do. Absolutely. So shifting gears a little bit, um, and, and for the Secretary of State role in particular, especially since it is a little different from state to state, um, there 
may not be a whole lot of conceptions uh, from the public about what that that mm -hmm. position does, but what are some common misconceptions about the Secretary of State role? Well, when I told my grandma I was running for Secretary of State, her immediate thought was the federal right. role <laughs> for Secretary of State. And she's like, are you qualified to do that? And I'm like, no, Grandma, I'm not qualified to do that. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm not qualified to go and negotiate with North Korea. Um, but uh, that's one misconception. Uh, the other misconception is that we're like the recorder for state government. Secretary of State, so oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we make sure we keep admin all the assistant notes. Assistant of State. <laughs> yeah, admin <laughs> assistant of state. Um, and then some, most people are just completely clueless. Right. They're completely clueless because uh, this is one of those roles that has just been really kind of low-key. Mm -hmm. um, and so those are the misconceptions that, that people people generally have that I've heard. Well, hopefully at least our listeners will get a little bit of yes. a better idea You all will be well. experts in this role. Experts. That's what we're going for. Certainly, you've covered a lot of pieces of this already, but let's say, especially at a local level, why should the community care about the role of Secretary of State mm -hmm. and how that impacts them? There's this saying that if I'm your enemy, I'm going to find your greatest strength and persuade you that it's a weakness. And that's what's happened with the vote. When we hear those lines, your vote doesn't matter, your mm -hmm. vote doesn't count, this process isn't meant for you, those are all of the myths and lies to get people from participating. When we think about the first election to elect George Washington as our president in the beginning of time, that first election, only white male landowners could vote. Mm -hmm. And so if you weren't a white male and a landowner, you could not participate in the process. And so over time, you know, people of color and women begin to earn that right to vote. But it was sad because they had to earn it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a birthright as an American citizen. So much has been lost as it relates to the vote. People lost their lives, they lost their jobs, they lost their pride. And so for me, I just honestly believe that the price has already been paid. It means something. And we have to honor those people that were able to pave a way for us to be able to participate. And in doing so, we're helping ourselves. Mm -hmm. We can't buy into these myths that our vote doesn't count. Sometimes I think it's almost a defense mechanism. You know, people are apathetic because they don't feel like they're educated on all the candidates or they don't feel like they want to make a choice. Um, we want people to make a choice mm -hmm. and you'll never be fully educated mm -hmm. on all the candidates. You just have to trust your gut and make the decision that you think will be best for your community. Voting is like the key to our democracy. The person who holds that key in our state is the Secretary of State. And you want to be able to trust that person with your vote. And you also want to make sure that that person is going to get other folks to vote alongside you. Thinking about this, it is a statewide position, but it also affects very, very local politics oh, yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. If you're not registered, you can't participate in you know, the Des Moines City Council election. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a sort of statewide issue. It's also oh, yes. if, you know, if what's most important to you is hyper-local yeah. politics, it still affects you. Yeah, you all have interviewed some city council and school board folks. And in those elections, we get 5 to 10% turnout throughout our entire state. Mm -hmm. And I worked on a school board races, like I said earlier, and in those races, it was easier for me to persuade someone to vote for a school board race than it was the presidential race. 
but we see the minimal turnout in the small ones, school board, we see minimal turnout in those because they don't have the resources. Mm -hmm. You know, these school board folks are raising about $3,500. That doesn't go very far. Yeah. Especially if you want yard signs for your community, it's going to cost you about twelve dollars to $1,500. Then you got half a budget. You can't get a TV commercial on that. You can't mm -hmm. get a radio ad on that. And so they're spending very few dollars, but there's a person that can help. And that's the Secretary of State. That person's job Commissioner of Elections and Campaigns. That's how the code reads. Hmm. And so when I think of a commission, I think of a leader that's really moving people to participate and extending that to being a champion for people's voices and, and encouraging them. I would love to see more people participating in local elections. It hurts my heart when people feel like they don't have the folks representing them that represent mm -hmm. their values. And when you see large portions of communities that really believe that their representative doesn't represent their values, then that leads me to believe that people aren't participating in elections. Mm -hmm. The more people we have voting, the better chances we have of getting people that represent our values. That's why it's so important to get your family to mm -hmm. vote, because you, you know for the most part they represent your values, and uh, getting your friends and, and your neighbors and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. That's grassroots, just community organizing. And we've got to get back to that basic concept in our state. We can, though. We can. I definitely creeped on my neighbors online and made sure they were registered to vote for the primaries. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and they that's were, awesome. they were, but I was prepared to do some neighbor shaming. Yes. Um, but, yeah. Yes. You know, I, I will always ask, are you registered? I don't know. Yeah. Okay, let's look it up right now. Yeah. Let's look it up. <laughs> You're not here. Oh, but I thought, mm -mm. come on, let's get it going. <laughs> yeah, we need the equivalent of the Des Moines program right now. If you've been vetted as a recycler, you get that gold. Oh, yeah, oh yes, yeah. the gold blade. I've got a gold I've got a gold So I have yet. a friend who works for the city of Des Moines. She had been trying to get a gold lid for like almost a year. And I got it before she got it. <laughs> yeah, she was very upset when I when I got my gold lid. <laughs> I love that peer pressure. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned holding the key to democracy. Are there any specific policies that you can share that the Secretary of State influences that can impact someone's ability to access? Sure. So the Secretary of State doesn't usually dive deep into the policy component. Most of what the Secretary of State does is administrative. Uh, the current Secretary of State decided a couple of years ago to get into the policy game. Mm. And, and so uh, that policy that he wrote was a voter ID bill that was unnecessary and really created uh, burdensome processes on the voter processes, not only for the voter, but for the poll worker <laughs> as well. And so if there's things that that office can do on an administrative level, it wouldn't necessarily be within the policy realm, but more in just how that office operates and how it does business and the strategies that go along with that. So one thing that I think would be awesome in our state is to have automatic voter registration. Right now, if you go to the DOT and you get a driver's license, you can ask to register to vote. Sometimes that person might prompt and ask you, but typically when we go to the DOT, we're waiting and we just want to leave by the time <laughs> yeah. we get to the front. But the way that I would like things to work is if an eligible voter is going to get a driver's license or an ID, that they're automatically registered to vote. If they don't want to be a voter, then they can opt out. One, that's going to increase registration, but that's not going to be enough because 
Sometimes they may not even know that they're being registered to vote, but that's going to give me an opportunity to get good data on folks mm -hmm. so that I can actually connect with them. See, data woman. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can actually I can actually connect with them and 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 sometimes it's not always the most up-to-date data. I mean, when we're registering students, like, I don't know my address and they're looking at their friends like what's our address and mm -hmm. and so things along those lines are you know when we're registering people who move a lot they're like oh I don't remember you know but when you go to DOT you're pretty much going on top of your game because you know they're not going to play right. they're going to turn you <laughs> you away can't guess. Yeah, you can't guess but the, you, I mean, you don't pieces of mail that all, the, all the documentation marriage licenses that you have to bring that's going to be great for not only getting the word out about voting, but encouraging voting as well. I remember in like, I think it was southeastern Iowa where a gentleman was running for school board and nobody voted, including himself. And so oh my. You, know, had to, you had to do a little bit of a redo um, to, to get someone into office. But that happens. You, know, you think about our kids and, and going through school and people not eager to participate in who governs the district. Let's get back to basics. Yeah. Yeah, we can we can talk about what's going on on MSNBC and Fox and CNN <laughs> all day, but we, we need good folks governing our, our schools. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so and this that is was another long one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> uh, but that's a good segue. You know, we're talking about kind of hopes for the future. So what are you most excited about right now? I think I'm most excited about potential. I see the potential and I want to make it kinetic. <laughs> I want to make it happen. I've always been empowered by the state because of the growth and mm -hmm. the development that the state makes, that my community makes. And this is yet another opportunity to grow. So I'm excited about that. And I just want people to vote. Yeah. Yep. I want people to vote. I want people to participate in our elections process. And I want people to feel comfortable asking other people to vote. And there is a, probably a good number of folks that are listening right now. We just need you to be bold. Bold enough to stand against the status quo. Because right now the status quo tells us that, you know, people don't want to participate in the elections. It's, it's too divisive. And and all that, just weed through that with positivity. Mm -hmm. And it, and it's okay for a Democrat to ask a Republican to participate in the process. We, we want the score to be fair mm -hmm. at the end of the day. It's okay for an independent to ask a libertarian to vote. <laughs> um, all of those things are okay. We just have to stand side by side in this type of climate and just value the essential mechanism of what our democracy was built on, and that's the people and the people's voices heard via the vote. Short answer. So now we'll have to give you a really tricky question. Then. Yes, because mm -hmm. you've done so, so well with all the others. Uh, um, what should we have for dinner tonight? What do you want to drink tonight? <laughs> oh, well, we do like our red wine. Mm, I would say you should have some lamb chops mm. with asparagus and cauliflower mash. Lovely. With Parmesan. We do need more vegetables in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> Put some rosemary with that lamb. Yeah. Oh. I don't think I've ever cooked lamb before. Really? Yeah. Okay, you, so you marinate it in the red wine, and Ooh. you only need to do it for like 20 minutes. And then you sear both sides of the lamb. And then put it in the oven to let it finish. That does mm -hmm. sound delicious. It'll be really great. Need to go shopping. Yeah. <laughs>
Mm-hmm. All right. See, I love our interviews. They just put me in such a good mood. So yeah. excited. <laughs> we can make change happen. <laughs> yes. And lamb chops. Yes. And lamb chops. <laughs> So, Deidre, thank you so much for coming on our show, sharing with us, teaching us a bit more about Secretary of State and how it all works. Of course. Had a blast. Hey, we're back. All right. Yay. Thanks again to Deidre for coming in and talking with us. I mean, this is sort of the start of the ones where, like, I don't know entirely what the Secretary of State Mm -hmm. does. Like, it was really great hearing from her both her passion and drive for it, but also just learning a bit about, you know, what they do. So thanks to Deidre again for joining us. Talking to Deidre about voter registration and some of the the data that can be available about voter participation got me curious about what I could find publicly available. So I'm not going to say I dug super deep, but I was actually able to find month-by-month counts of voter registration by county in Iowa, going back to January of 2000. Some months are missing in between then and now, but generally speaking, there's monthly data that says, you know, what's the number of total registered people and how does that break down by party, Mm -hmm. Um, which was generally measured in Democrat versus Republican, although in 2017 they started counting libertarian registrations, uh, and they also count no party registrations. I started doing some analysis on that and just kind of poked around with mapping and seeing which party holds a majority, if any, or which party has at least the most registered voters. And, you know, we think about we've got to get out the vote and voter participation is really low and there's often drives for voter registration. So I was kind of wondering how that would shake out Mm -hmm. in the data. And I was actually kind of surprised by two major things I found. And both of these graphs will be up on our website, blbdpod.com, and we'll link to it in the show notes. But I put together two animations that show with that month-by-month data how things have changed. So it shows which party has the most registered voters in that county. If more Republicans are registered to vote, then the county will be colored red. And depending on how strong that proportion is, it'll be a deeper or a lighter red. And then Democrats would be blue. And then no party or, I guess, independents are just not filled in or white. And I was actually really surprised by how many counties fell under the independent Mm. umbrella. Like when you look at this map, it changes over time and it, you know, starts to get less independent as presidential election years come around. That's when they're going to get most involved in caucusing for a nominee. But there's actually almost this horizontal line going the whole way across the middle of the state that's pretty independent, and that was kind of surprising to me. And this is all just on percentages, so you know, population density doesn't really come into play here. So that was kind of surprising to me. And I suppose not too surprising. There's there's very few blue counties. It's it's a lot of shades of red for right. the rest of it. So pretty red state. It's interesting what you can pull from the public data, and again from a pretty quick trawl of what data is available. But even as a non-data person, you just see this become such a burgeoning field. And I would imagine from the government side, like I'm sure Secretary Mm -hmm. of State has access to a lot more data as well. Mm -hmm. And you can use that in different ways. 
you know, here are high priority areas. We're just not getting anyone from 18 to 30 that are registering to vote in this area. So what things can we do to start to fill in that gap Mm -hmm. and get a comprehensive vote out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I don't have slices by demographic. I don't know if that's available or not to see, you know, what percentage of 18 to 30 year olds are registered with which party and, and other things like that. And when I was first thinking about this, I wondered if it would almost kind of show, well, this is how a given election is going to turn out, right? Like if you've got more people registered in one party than another, and if people generally vote along party lines, then could you kind of just see which way a county's going to go um, mm-hmm. for the most part? by this data and I didn't take the time to compare it to election results and actual voter turnout but I was surprised again by how many were sort of in that neutral or independent territory and then I did look at another animation this time just showing what percentage of people are registered to vote period in that county, it's almost sort of an apathy kind of comparison, right? Like you can have 100% of registered voters be registered Democrats, but if 1% of your population is registered to vote at all, Mm -hmm. that might mean something kind of different. And so that was kind of interesting. And what was surprising to me there was how many people were in fact registered to vote. And I think the smallest percentage at any time frame in any county was around 40%. And that's even an underestimate because I just compared this to like what the census population was. I used the 2000 and 2010 census numbers and those are going to be probably too high because for some periods, because it's going to include children and people who are unable to register to vote. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that was kind of surprising to me was that Dallas County was standing out towards the current day as being almost 100% or actually weirdly over 100% <laughs> registered. <laughs> yeah. Again, maybe some some of that data is now eight years old and looking at populations of... Right, and just pulling grown. a quick look at it. Yeah. But that'd be interesting to look at more because there's several parts where participation can fall apart. Are people registered? And then are people actually going to vote? And mm-hmm. is the barrier in terms of registering or getting out to vote? They would require very different solutions mm-hmm. from a statewide level, but both impact the end result of mm-hmm. just getting more people to participate or not. Yeah, and, and to me, not knowing you know much about campaign practices in Iowa or, or how a lot of that works, I would look at this and think voter registration pushes would be really important leading up to caucuses or primaries, just because you know you have to have a party registration mm-hmm. to participate in those. You don't have to be registered with a party to participate in a general. It seems like a lot of the eligible voters are registered but maybe not registered with a party. So for candidates who are looking to kind of get a foothold there, that might be the best push for them. Yeah. So so that was fun. It was a really fun excuse for me to learn how to animate uh, graphs and especially maps, uh, which is not something I'd done before. So maybe I'll make more of those in the future. Yeah. And similarly, what stood out to me talking to Deidre, again, is that idea of just getting people to participate, whether that's in civic responsibility or civic action. So voting or going to planning meetings or open houses, you know, there's this new project coming along in your neighborhood. We want people to come out and sort of share their input or, you know, we're doing our new long range plan. We're going to set the vision for what we want. 
And for very, very understandable reasons, it's very hard to get people to show up. Gotta pay your bills. <laughs> yeah, so the things that Deidre talked about, it can seem boring or unimportant or confusing mm-hmm. of like, is this the meeting I need to show up to or is it the one six months from now? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really feel like I know a whole lot about this, so I don't feel like I should go and say, mm-hmm. you know, that same sort of feeling of like my vote doesn't count. Or areas where there's breakdown in trust of you can feel like oh i'll go and i'll say something and they'll just ignore it yeah Um, or they you know do you run into sort of a cynicism of well they're they're just going through the motions and they've made these decisions already yeah there's a lot of issues there there's very real sort of logistical barriers from both sides like Mm -hmm. the people you want to participate they're working you got to fit around their work Mm -hmm. schedule certain people have the ability to take time off in the middle of the day but certainly not everybody people work different schedules so you know if you schedule it for the evening people doing the nine to five may be able to go but people working that third shift like you're gonna miss people if you have kids daycare is never provided Mm -hmm. Do you have transportation to it? You know, is the meeting on a bus line or near enough to your work or on your way from work to home that it's not a huge Mm. additional hassle? So there are a lot of barriers for that. It was nice hearing when we had Josh Mandelbaum on a couple weeks ago talking about how city council, at least for their part, is trying to mitigate that right like they live stream meetings and they record them so you can watch them after the fact there's a a lot of ground to be made up there i think in a lot of different areas but it's nice to see people making the effort and hopefully the word continues to get out about those things so that people can find that flexibility and, and be involved yeah and from the planner side of things there's a lot of things that we can do better as well i think sort of the generic practice, there are always people who are going above and beyond. And some of them are in our region. Like, I'm not disparaging any specific jurisdiction, but the assumed follow the guidelines practices have failed for a long time. Mm. You know, just public open houses, you can come out. Like, those are not interesting, and a lot of times they're not terribly respectful of people's time. And you do run into some of that of, we're asking questions that we already know the answer to. So if we're asking about transportation, and, you know, you'll walk into the open house and there'll be these phone boards uh, with a bunch of different pictures, and you're asking, you know, do you want this kind of sidewalk or this kind of sidewalk? Like, how wide do you want it? what sort of crosswalks would you like? Do you like street benches and that kind of thing? And for some of those things, it doesn't feel like we're being respectful of time and expertise because we're asking things that we already know the answer to. And some of that is there are federal or local guidelines of we have to do this, this, and this Mm. for public engagement. Mm -hmm. So even if we don't have anything to ask at that point, we have to do it. Um, So there's a little bit of that and a little bit of we always need to be looking for new ways. So we typically have a budget for doing community engagement. Is it more valuable to spend some of that on providing daycare services? Mm -hmm. Is it more valuable to spend a little bit more on a venue if it's near a couple of different bus lines? And can we put in the time and effort to provide something that will fit into multiple schedules? So mm-hmm. can we do both a lunchtime and a evening time? Just trying to find these different ways because we have such a broad audience that we're trying to reach. We can add things with technology, but not everybody has smartphones. Right. Um, so we have to be careful on what we add, but we know that there are gaps and we need to add more. 
is anybody doing things with online open comment periods? And I mean, that can be tricky because if you're just totally open-ended with it, it's not really useful. But if it can be kind of bringing some of that interactive nature of some of the engagement sessions that you do to a user on their phone or on the Mm -hmm. library computer or whatever, again, adding another option. Yeah. So we've done this at the MPO. I know a lot of the cities around here have done this as well as you still go through some of those traditional means like face-to-face or paper surveys, but then you also have, say, an interactive map online where you can go in, zoom into a project, leave comments there. So just kind of expanding the ways that people can participate. So whichever is easiest for them, Mm -hmm. they can do that. Because I think something for the Secretary of State, all the way on down to very, very local projects and policies and politics, is the onus is kind of on us as the people asking for your time to make it worth your while and to make it as absolutely easy as possible. Any barriers that we can break down should be worth it because we can't expect people to prioritize what we want over their day-to-day just because Mm -hmm. we can say like it's your civic responsibility but that is a voluntary thing we're asking for your time amid all of these other priorities and it's on us to make it easy accessible and valuable that we're asking the right questions as well what expertise are we asking for and a lot of times that's just you know your neighborhood better than we do we may know say, transportation facilities better, but you know where it's needed, where the problems are. Mm -hmm. Because we we have the data, but a lot of times we're missing that on-the-ground eye test verification of what do you see day-to-day. Right. Um, Yeah, that's definitely something I have a lot of respect for because I don't necessarily know how to do it super well myself, but I think everybody can recognize it when it doesn't go well, when a, a session like that isn't facilitated well. And it's no trivial thing to plan that. And it's no trivial thing to design something that feels effortless when you're talking about an end product that's going to end up on your streets or in your neighborhoods. And so you kind of have to pull both of those together in one. Yeah. It's something where if it's not done well, both sides come out of it with dissatisfaction. And then there's less interest in making those steps next time like it's a cycle that reinforces that Mm -hmm. the city is like you know we're just not getting a lot of value and we're putting a lot of time and effort and asking staff to come in on nights and weekends to do this right and community members are saying like i went there and i didn't really understand what they were asking i didn't feel like i added anything it's not worth my time you know away from my kids or coming in on my lunch break to sit in on these meetings if it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere Mm -hmm. so it's difficult to kind of break those cycles but certainly really valuable and i think that'll be a longer discussion for the future we've already referenced back to that problem definition episode a few times and i think one of the ones coming up is about data collection i think this will play Mm -hmm. into that Mm -hmm. so we'll do more of a deep dive then and i'm curious to hear sort of from the business side like the data side Mm -hmm. how does that come up in your work but we'll get to that in the near future yeah so again Thanks to Deidre, we've been thinking about the things that she's said since then, and it reinforces our purpose in this podcast. I mean, this is certainly one of those positions that 
we didn't know a lot about, yeah. and I think it is an important one, and I'll pay a lot more attention to it in the future. Absolutely. So eventually we'll just understand all the positions, and hopefully you <laughs> will too with us. So I, I think next time we're probably going to do a non-interview episode. It'll just um, be us. Just us next time. So get excited for that, I guess. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, it'll be a nice, cozy episode. Yep, so our next episode should be airing around August 27th. Until next time.